0: Welcome to the MENA Surge podcast, the ultimate source for all things Web3 and fintech related in the MENA region, powered by Fintech Surge and Future Blockchain Summit, taking place at Dubai Harbor, October 15th through 18th, alongside Expand Northstar and an association with Jitex Global. Today with Stefan Kimmel, CEO of M2. Thanks for joining us today, Stefan. Thank you very much, Stephen, for having me. Great to be here. And I know that M2 is a bronze sponsor of the Future Blockchain Summit, and we're super excited to, to have you on board as one of our partners. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experience
1: and what does M2 do? Sure, absolutely. So I, I, self, I start with myself. <laughs> Great topic to start with. Um, there my, you name go. Stefan, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Stefan Kimmel. I'm the CEO of M2. Um, I come from a traditional financial services background. Um, I've been helping banks and traditional fintechs and traditional finance players to uh, drive the digital transformation journey. So essentially that means helping them to get the best possible products out there in a secure, uh, industrial-grade, professional manner. And that's exactly pretty much what I'm doing here at at M2 in the crypto world now. So my background was I was in, in, in consulting first with BCG and Oliver Wyman, Uh, Then switched to IT services with IBM. Finally, made the jump to a traditional bank with CBD. I was the COO of CBD, Commercial Bank of Dubai here, for two years. And then finally, jumped into the rabbit hole and joined Kraken as the chief commercial officer in the region. And then, about a year ago, we started M2, um, which I'm doing to this day. Which brings me to uh, what M2 does. We are what we consider a new high grade crypto investment platform. And at the very core of that, that means we are offering high yields in a very secure and fully regulated manner. So, for instance, the flagship offerings we will be uh, starting with right now is 10%, 10 10.5% even yield on Bitcoin, or 10.5% on Ethereum, 11.5% on USDT. So, essentially, high attractive yields in a place where the investor can be sure that the money's safe, it's regulated, and it's transparent. That's at the very core of it. On top of that, we also um, are a regulated exchange, so you can buy and sell cryptos with us. And later in the year, we'll start a lending offering, a cards offering, uh, and several other uh, additional offerings for customers. Wow. So
0: all the way from banking to M2 um, uh, with, with a guaranteed yield. And that, that's something I actually I kind of wanted to, to tap into a little bit. Um, Uh, next but first i kind of wanted to talk about you know how did your experience in banking and financial sector actually move you into the crypto sector because as you might know that alongside future blockchain summit we're also hosting a show called uh, fintech search and the more and more we had these discussions with fintechs and with you know the the crypto web3 blockchain space the more we're starting to notice that there's a lot of overlap between the two different sectors uh so can you tell me a little bit about how you know your banking and financial experience brought you into
1: the crypto world yeah absolutely i mean it's it's interesting to see when you look at crypto from a traditional banking background there's two ways of looking at it either you see it as a threat and something evil or you Figure out that this might actually be a great new thing that offers a lot of new opportunities better products better services to customers and and that's the way i look at it also based on my background because that's always the the way i've been looking at financial services (laughs) Uh, so so i see crypto as as a great new thing with better services and new opportunities for investors for the industry but of course the challenge is you have to do this in a way that is, I call it institutional grade, so something that's robust, something that's secure, something that is transparent, and something that, that does not put users' money at risk, at least not at a risk that a user is not aware of or willing to take. And of course, the history of the last couple of years has seen has shown us how important that is, and that's actually the, at the very core of how we're building into. Most of my executives come from an from a, banking background with um, investment banking and asset management from players like Goldman, like UBS, uh, like Deutsche, et cetera, it's really important for us to adopt these new technologies and these opportunities, but make them, build them in a way that is robust and transparent and really secure for customers to invest in. And that, I think, is something we see across the industry. As you mentioned, you see more and more traditional bankers um, get into crypto But of course, you also have to balance that out with with crypto natives to understand what they're doing, who really drives that innovation, which is much harder to do for a traditional 20, 25 year banker. Um, So if you if you blend those two, I think great results can be achieved. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's amazing. And you you keep saying these words robust,
0: secure, transparent, and, and that's obviously one of the most important things when it comes to blockchain and crypto adoption is that it, we can trust it, right? That that is transparent, that uh, we're not using a technology that we're not familiar with. Um, and that, uh, you know, everything is above board and legal and, you know, secure. And, you know, one of the things that you also mentioned previously was what you said a 10% yield guaranteed on bitcoin secured and that's something that you know typically when we see somebody guaranteeing a certain <laughs> uh return that's one of the biggest red flags of okay this is not somebody to be trust but you seem to have kind of the best of both worlds with m2 that you've managed to figure out a solution that's secure and transparent while also having a guaranteed return can can you kind of navigate that with us
1: Absolutely. And that's exactly the sweet spot of, of where we thought there was a gap uh, and what we're trying to, to fill. Because either, exactly as you said, either you get promised 30, 40, I mean, we've seen up 1,500% returns, right? But then most likely you're never going to see that money. Um, on the other hand, you have some so robust and secure and compliant um, offers. But those are typically, I'm not going to say boring, but they are they're just not as attractive from it from a year perspective, not what you would typically seek when you go into crypto, because crypto at the end of the day is a higher risk asset, and you would expect higher returns um, in that asset class. Uh, so what we do in essence is um, we use the funds that are committed to earn plans. So let, let, let me say that. Users can deposit money on the platform, and of course, then that's their assets, and we, we cannot touch it. That's a compliance requirement. They can use that for selling and trading, just like any regulated deposit. As soon as a user decides to join, join uh, or subscribe to one of our earn plans, let's say the 10.5% in Bitcoin, uh, that gets then deployed by our in- in-house asset management team um, into several different um, branches in order to generate those yields. One of those branches is Bitcoin mining. we actually partially owned by one of the largest Bitcoin miners uh, in the world. Uh, a company called phoenix which will soon be publicly traded as well um that helps us secure very attractive bitcoin mining return rates that we use as one of the legs we stand on to generate those assets the second leg is we also do um crypto lending fully collateralized fully secured as a second avenue the third one is our in-house proprietary quant trading desk that also generates uh, or helps generate the the yields I mentioned before.
0: That's great and you know I don't want to get ahead of you or her answer a question that you were going to answer previously but you know when it comes to you know these tradings and, and getting you know a solid return on things we're seeing a lot more Use of AI. So you know, AI is obviously able to take biases out of things. It's able to, to trade with a lot more information, pretty much on the spot, and it's able to, um, you know, to make sure that there's no emotions involved and just making good decisions. Does M2 uh, employ AI and and making sure that it it does the best uh, that it can for these these trades?
1: Yes, we, we, we do. I mean, it's, it's funny, I always laugh a little bit about when I hear the current buzz about AI because it has really been around for 20, 30 years, um, less performant than today. Uh, what really picked up is a bit of the performance, but more than anything else, the buzz around it. Uh, AI-based algorithms and technologies have been around for a very, very long time and financial services have been using them extensively for many years. Uh, but that aside, yes, so we, we have various trading trading algorithms we use, uh, for which we ingest a huge amount of, of data, uh, historic data, um, on-chain data, off-chain data, uh, to currently or constantly trade, execute trades, monitor trades, uh, and on a real-time basis, constantly enhance the algorithms based on changing market environments, as any trading algorithm you use usually works well for a certain period of time until it doesn't, work anymore Mm -hmm. when the environment changes or some parameters changes and AI and trade automation is of course super helpful to to optimize that and we certainly do
0: that's amazing and as you mentioned AI is not uh it's not a brand new um technology right and I think that a lot of us uh you know we tend to get confused between AI and just very very complex smart Algorithms that people can plug into computers and to come, plug into robots and set automated tools. Automation is not always uh, associated with AI, but it's really exciting to see companies like M2 actually using AI because it's a, it's a thing that learns. It learns faster than we do and is able to digest more information and actually make decisions based on that information a lot faster than a human does, or even a lot better than what a human designed you know simple algorithm can do, even if it is automated. So so that's super exciting. Um, you know, so so you did mention that you know, these sort of technologies have been around for quite a while. Um, so what is the vision of M2 and how does M2 differentiate itself from others in the market that may also be using these tools that, as you mentioned, are not brand new uh, technologies?
1: Yes, so so the tools, I mean, I I always like to put the use case or the the utility uh, and the benefit for users, what can offer to users at the front center um, of of our considerations. And then the tools you use are just a means to an end. Um, I I think sometimes that that gets turned around. At the end of the day, the, the two things that are crucial to how we are positioned is, number one, it's being compliant secure and transparent I think that's a real key proposition for for crypto customers out there often when I talk to especially family offices institutional customers before they discuss anything else about fees or yields or any other questions the the first question they always have is are you regulated where you're regulated how can I be sure my funds are secure with you so that, that is the foundation of everything. Without that, all, all the other discussion is, 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 is not fruitful in, in, in my experience. So that's number one, secure, transparent, fully, fully regulated. The second part then is, is our sweet spot is, is the yields. We try to generate yields in a, in a sustainable fashion. So it's not just short-term campaigns, it's sustainable yields that are above market average, that attract customers, who then can rely on? They get a great return, but they do so in a safe environment where they can trust to actually get that money. So that that's really the, at the very core of our proposition. That's great, and I mean, the the more that you mention safety
0: and security, I think that that's one of the things that's that we we like to hear. You know, we like to hear about the excitingness of oh, buy crypto, become a millionaire overnight. But you know, the, the <laughs> ones that are really in the space, you know, we we like to hear that. This is safe. That is transparent, and and it's actually one of the things that I might be you know, out on a ledge by myself. But I, I kind of celebrate the bear market a little bit because it, it sort of draws people's attention away from, you know, these overnight crypto millionaires, to actually in the the long term benefits of crypto, the long term benefits of what a NFT actually is, apart from just cartoon monkeys. But it's actually you know the <laughs> utilities behind these things, and and. You know, when you're looking at a 10% guaranteed yield, it doesn't sound that exciting compared to somebody that might have put a thousand dollars into Bitcoin 20 years ago, and suddenly they're a millionaire. But it is still a strong, strong uh, return on investment. And, and I think that most people, let's say they put, you know, a thousand dollars into something, and then a, you know, a year later it's up to one thousand one hundred. That's not as exciting, but that is still a good, solid return with transparency and with security as well one of the things i wanted to talk about was you know we we we're seeing in the news all over the place that you know this country over here might have been you know quit to adopt uh you know crypto and and now they're crypto friendly then all of a sudden now they're not crypto friendly and now you can trade here and all of a sudden now you can't trade there is this something that you know kind of keeps you guys awake at night that you're like you know we, we have a good business is a good offering, we're we're giving people a good return, but we're still sort of at the the mercy of these regulatory authorities and even government authorities of whether or not they're going to allow this to to still be continued
1: in certain markets. Yeah, look, of course, regulation is is super important for us. Um, The way we look at us, we we look at regulation as our friend and the regulators as our friends in most countries. because look, as long as there's no regulation, you have exactly the behaviour just described earlier. There's a bit of Wild West, uh, try to get rich fast, um, but a lot of risk involved as well, and uncertainty as to what is allowed, what is not allowed, which even keeps a lot of the biggest potential investors out of the market. Um, we now see the ETFs and and all the big, Goldman's and, and big financial services players flocking into the industries. Potentially can move hu- many times bigger amounts into crypto than we've ever seen before. The prerequisite for that to happen, though, is they need regulation. Their compliance departments would not allow them, or their risk departments, to move funds into unregulated environments. So the more regulation we have, A, it opens up the space for much, much bigger funds to come into the industry. And B, it also creates clearer rules to protect investors and to prevent. The Wild West kind of behavior. So we we, we are big friends of that and thankfully we see more and more solid and systematic regulation being built. Um, we' obviously operating out of the UAE um, under ADGM which has one of the oldest most recognized and most robust regulatory environments out there globally. That's absolute market leader in terms of registration uh, um, uh, regulation. Um, we see Europe now rolling out Mika. Uh, that's coming on next year. Uh, We're also filing for several applications, um, regulatory applications in Europe right now. Uh, The UK is getting the act together. We see Singapore, Hong Kong, et cetera. So there's a lot of positive movement um, out there. And we we fully embrace that because we think it will really, really boost the industry tremendously. The one laggard we have, of course, is the US, but uh, I, I trust it as a country to think over time, uh, they'll get the direction together as well. For sure. And, and you know, obviously you did mention the ADGM
0: uh, with their regulatory authority and obviously obviously uh, Dubai was the first with BARA, the Virtual Assets regulatory authority to actually create a regulatory authority around this. Um, yeah, you know, I think that some of it, it might just come down to you know not necessarily a country rejecting uh, crypto, not necessarily a company rejecting blockchain, but just, just waiting until it's ready to to roll out its regulations, right? So this is something that, you know, this, the blockchain technology gurus and the whole sector just kind of sprung up and said, hey, we're here now. We need you to deal with us. And some countries are ready for it and some countries not quite as quickly able to kind of put together the framework to make sure that the, the country was protected um, from these sort of things. And I think that, it's just a matter of time before you know, even the US with you know, as large of an economy as it is, they're going to have the, the regulations in place, they're going to have the governments and authorities in place to say, all right, now we know how to regulate these things, now you can come in, now you can invest into these things, and we can make sure that People can do so safely. And I think that that's probably, you know, as much as we like to look at, you know, countries that are a little bit behind and sort of think that, hey, you guys are behind, You're, you know, get up with the times, everybody else is changing and moving forward. You're a little bit behind there. But at the same time, I think that is sort of okay because there will be a time where they come around and by the time that that happens, they'll be 100% ready to
1: move forward and accept all the investment they can. Absolutely. And I think, look, in, in, especially in the more mature um, country, specifically like the US, of course, they have the most to lose in, in, in a sense because they own 60% of the global capital markets. Um, so they have a lot of vested interest in maintaining that to some degree. There's very, very large players uh, who would typically push for the status quo to be maintained. Um, and that obviously is makes it more difficult for politicians and regulators to shift the needle significantly. But even there, we've seen, you know, some of the largest players, the Fidelity, a Goldman Sachs, a J.P. Morgan, or starting to embrace bits and pieces of it, starting from custody, um, ability to invest in it, ETFs and and other vehicles. So the more they are ready to do that, they they now ready to embrace it and and benefit from it. That will create pressure also on policymakers to shift the needle over there. That, that's why I'm, I'm very confident that eventually, um, based on what I see in, in house discussions and, and other things, um, this is going to change in in a not too distant future. Yep,
0: I hope so. And uh, so you mentioned that you're you're based over here in the UAE. Um, I think that before this call started, that you were actually you said that you're in Dubai.
1: So we, we based out of Abu Dhabi uh, in ADGM, so we're regulated by the, well, we're regulated in several jurisdictions, but the, the first one was the FSRA in Abu Dhabi. Um, we have offices as well in Dubai, um, and we are opening offices right now in, in in Spain and Paris, um, and, well, we, we grow as we expand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's great, and and so um, what's what's the typical customer profile
1: for M two? Who do you who do you chase? Uh, that's a great question. So we call it. So first of all, we we serve both retail as well as institutional uh, investors. On the retail side, we go after what we call the assertive investor, and that's a the contrast to what you said the, the the guys who try to get rich fast overnight. That's not a typical clientele. We, we're looking at individuals who. Have a portfolio, they want to invest in, they want to grow their wealth, people will think about how they place their assets and how to grow them over time in a in a in a deliberate manner. So somebody would allocate a certain percentage of their portfolio in crypto and wants to make sure it grows over time and it's safe. Um, in essence, so somebody who's interested in in a 10% yield over the next 10 years rather than somebody who wants to get richer over nine. Um, yeah. And, and, t- and take huge risks so, so that's on the retail side on the institutional side uh, it's typically family uh, offices um, asset and wealth managers uh, and and hedge fund managers who make crypto part of their world portfolio and have to do okay. so on, re- on a regulated platform that is compliant etc
0: so it's still the traditional customer profi- profile of a you know a wealth management company which obviously this basically what you are, a wealth management company. So you're looking for people that want to make investments for their future, for their family, for retirement, or for um, you know hedge fund managers that have those same clients that you're looking for, but they will also, also offer these products. Do you feel like uh, this is part of you know kind of the, the pushback from uh, these traditional wealth management agencies is that you're sort of going after the same clients that they are?
1: Traditionally, may have been, but we see asset managers embrace that because they also in the race. I mean, asset management per se is a competitive field, so they're also in the race to offer new products, new features uh, to their customers. And their customers ask them about crypto as well. I mean, there's not any wealthy person who doesn't doesn't think about Bitcoin every now and then. So they need answers for that. Um, So if they make crypto part of their portfolio. Uh, that they even sell their customers it, it makes them more attractive so it's a national partnership and that's again where we positioned if they can come to us and say they park you know certain uh, allocation um a 10 percent return in bitcoin or ethereum so that the blue chips so to speak um that's very attractive to them and they can offer it in an attractive fashion to their customers so it's a win-win that's great so you're like a competitor and a supplier i guess you could say that
0: Hey, I don't want as, to take your customers yeah. as much. Just go ahead and offer my products to your customers and we'll we'll be friends.
1: We happy, we're happy to do it either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. And uh so you know, as as we're talking about, you know, all of these countries that are now adopting crypto and you know, even the ones that are a little bit behind, we're we're assuming at some point they're going to kind of get it together, put the regulations in place, and you know, become a lot more crypto friendly. And and you know, crypto will be ideally accepted you know, globally within the next few years. Do you think that Bitcoin could be the future currency?
1: Hmm. So, I mean, Bitcoin specifically has, has different traits, right? It, it was originally, of course, intended to be money. Uh, so means of value transfer. Of course, the, and, and it does that. I mean, it's being used as a, as as money in, in in various jurisdictions. It can be used for that. Of course, the challenge is its is its volatility. Um, so it's difficult to keep money and pay with something that where well, you don't know by the time you pay or settle an invoice, it might be worth ten or fifteen or twenty percent more or less. Uh, that makes it challenged as as money. It, it's uh, there's probably other cryptos or even specifically stable coins that are more suitable uh, for that purpose. Um, I, I think it's probably at least in the in a foreseeable future. Uh, more beneficial as a uh, as an investment vehicle, as an asset essentially, uh, similar to equities. Um, without calling it an equity, just to on that on the, on the regulatory front, but um, it's it's an as an investment. It's it's probably in the short term more useful than as a as a means for payment uh, in its current form. For sure, and so you know we see a lot of you know
0: if if you've traveled internationally, you see that a lot of countries accept the U.S. dollar, for example, you know, if you're not able to to convert to kind of some of these smaller currencies, do you think that this is something that is going to sort of make the world smaller as people travel? They'll say, nope, it's fine. Just go ahead and transfer some Bitcoins to me, transfer some stable coins to me, and it'll be all fine. Is that, do you think that that's kind of the, the magnitude of
1: usage that we can expect from crypto? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that is a key, a key use case, and a lot of people would would say that stablecoins as a means of payment uh, is so far the the most prominent, the most useful use case for for crypto, especially in in countries and in emerging markets where the banking system is less mature. If if I compare, for instance, uh, transfers in in Europe in the SEPA um, system, you can do real-time transactions at low cost in, in a very uh, effective manner. So the use case for stablecoins there is probably less. But if I compare that to transfers in, in emerging markets in Africa and Asia uh, that may have currency restrictions, where simple transactions take one or two weeks, uh, and it can cost up to $50 to $100 for a simple, simple money transfer, that's really where, uh, where crypto plays a huge role and has a huge benefit. Uh, also, the degree of transparency, because as you know, I mean, any any crypto trans- transfer or transaction is on chain. You can see where it is. You can see who used it and uh, where it went and when it went. And that additional degree of transparency again is is a very important part uh, of that payment use case, money transfer, value transfer use case. That's great. Um, yeah, you know, with all of this, what do you think is the
0: funniest, you know, false crypto rumor that you've heard? Or biggest misunderstanding
1: that's kind of the funniest one. <laughs> a funny one. I don't know. Gary Gensler put all his money in Shiba Inu. Wait,
0: what's that? So, so it's a rumor, a false rumor that he put all of his money into there. It's false. I'm, I don't think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. And, um, so can you tell me a little bit about the impact of regulations on crypto markets? Um, you know, so we know that you're going to, to obviously be doing a panel discussion at the, the Future Blockchain Summit as well. Um, you know, that that discussion is going to be around the crypto adoption and strategies for mainstreaming digital assets. Um, so what are the, the regulations and the impact of regulations as we move
1: forward in the crypto market? Well, it, it goes back to what, what I said earlier. And The more regulation we have, the two effects will, will be if there's more clarity on certainty, both for um, service providers as well as for customers and potential investors. So the more regulation we have, they know exactly what what they get, they have more transparency, they can develop more trust in the system um, and they know what happens to their assets. So that paves the way uh, for them to invest. And particularly that's important on the institutional side, family offices, asset managers who uh, even by 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 their regulation, are only allowed to invest in regulated assets, um, and who will have the opportunity to allocate a bigger share of their portfolios into, into crypto. So the more robust regulation we have, uh, a clear regulation, I think the more we'll see an additional influx of skeptical investors, people who still sit on the sidelines, to allocate fresh money into the space and I think that's going to be a huge catalyst in the next wave.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for joining us, Stefan. Uh, we're really excited to see you at Future Blockchain Summit, which, as you know, is next month, October 15th through 18th at Dubai Harbor alongside Expand North Star. So brand new location, brand new concept to the show, which is super exciting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect to see from M2 at the show?
1: Sure. So we we'll, we'll be there with a with a team, of course. We'll be joining uh, panel discussions um, and happy to uh, engage in those same conversations. Show our showcase our products and uh, invite people to to join us. Great.
0: And and what are you looking forward to seeing at these shows? I know that you go to quite a few events, but what are you looking forward to at the the big Dubai based uh, blockchain show?
1: Um, yeah, look, I mean, from from what I've seen so far, we have some some great panelists, great speakers. Uh, it's really the who's who uh, from the industry, so I'm I'm super excited to see them all here in Dubai, um, who and which is clearly establishing itself as one of the, the global leaders and magnets for the crypto space, and and that's yet another step in that direction, and I'm obviously really excited about that.
0: Great, and we're, we're excited to see you as well. Uh, it's going to be a huge show. We have tons of speakers from all over the world, celebrities, crypto experts, blockchain experts, metaverse experts, I mean, really the entire, the bandwidth and, and you know, people like you that really are showing the use cases for crypto. Uh, we have use cases for NF, NFTs over there. We have use cases for metaverse. Um, it, it's going to be really exciting and I'm really excited to see you as well. Awesome, Stephen.
1: Thanks a lot. I really look forward to seeing you there. Great, see you then. Take care, cheers.